This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Take your Bibles. Let's go to Acts, the 12th chapter. Those who meditate on the scripture gain a crystal clear view of life as a believer. Now why we need that view is because our perfect father sits enthroned in heaven. He cannot change. He cannot fail. He always hates sin. And he always loves the sinner. But here on this earth, we are not only prone to change, it's happening constantly in our lives and in the lives of those around us. And as we live the Christian life, we have that tension constantly. To will is present in us. I'm sure, I'm confident that as I preach today, the truth that comes from God's Word, when you hear it, the Holy Spirit bears witness with it, you're going to feel that supernatural nudge to comply, to do it, to please God. And yet there's going to be another voice inside you because of this fallen flesh that says, I've tried that. I can't do that. That works for others, but that doesn't work for me. And one of the challenges, one of the spiritual disciplines that we have to learn is this. We we obey God regardless of how we feel, and frankly, regardless of whether we completely understand. We as parents get this because we can have a little person in our house who has our DNA. We tell them to do something and they look at us and they want an explanation. And you know if I give you the explanation, you're still not going to do it. So I'm dad, go obey. Now that's a weak Example because of who we are and who God is. How can the thing formed say to he that formed us, what are you doing? (laughs) We don't need to ask that question. And so in Scripture, God will give us accounts of those who know what to do. They obey God But you see this inner tension, this turmoil where they're doing what God wants them to do. And by the way, God is going to respond to their weak faith. He's going to answer mightily. But when he answers, they're going to be shocked. It happened. That's the reality of our Christian experience. 
And so we need to settle in our minds, God is always right and I should always follow. Let me say it again. God is always right and I should always, say it with me church, follow. If he's in front, I just need to follow in those footsteps. I don't have to see through him and what's coming. He knows it all. Now our study in Acts has us in chapter 12 where we follow the story through verse 11. Just follow along. I want to catch us up. Maybe you're just joining us in this series. Acts 12 verse 1. Now about that time, God is working. God's blessing in the church at Antioch. The gospel is spreading. The first missions team is out. Saul and Barnabas, God's using them. About that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hand to vex certain of the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. The first of the apostles is cut down. And because he, Herod, saw it please the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. We were reminded what he did to James, he intends to do to Peter. And so, in these days, Passover, waiting for the Passover to end, days now, Peter's in prison. No, when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison, delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him. Four times for 16 soldiers are assigned to guard the apostle. Intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And when where Herod would have brought him forth the same night, God's timing is perfect. It's always right on time. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. Behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison, and he smote Peter on the side. He gave him a pretty good jab. That's what that is telling us. Raised him up, saying, Arise, up quickly. And his chains fell off of his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself, and bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And he saith unto him, Cast thy garment about thee. So he's standing in prison. The angel's watching Peter. Get dressed. And then the angel says, follow me. And he went out, followed him, and wist not, he understood not, that it was true which had been, was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. When they were past the first and the second ward, again, these soldiers, these four who had been assigned to him, two chain, he's chained to the first and then the second ward, all four, they came into, uh, unto the iron gate that uh, leadeth unto the city, watch this, which opened to them of his own accord. The first automatic gate in the New Testament. And they went out and passed on through the street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety 
that the Lord hath sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. Now we arrive at the next part of this narrative, this story. True story, true accounts. We arrive at the prayer meeting where the Lord reminds us of our helplessness and why we need to pray. We will get to see the human side of the equation where an apostle is being delivered and led while not even understanding what is happening. Now, perhaps Peter was a deep sleeper, okay? It took him a while to wake up and really even understand what was happening. Then we see believers praying earnestly, God answers, but they doubt the answer when he stands outside the door and he's doing this. Now that's important because we're going to see later a servant girl tells him, Peter's at the door. You've seen his ghost. How many ghosts stand outside knocking? Now here's the reality that we learned in the last message. God's plan is unfolding regardless of Satan's intentions. Doesn't that encourage you today? Regardless of his intentions, God's plan is unfolding. God answers of the prayers of his people powerfully and even employs his army of angels in the deliverance. I mentioned, Christian, you are invincible in his work. Invincible. Through prayer, we have prevailing power as the church of Jesus Christ. And so we need to respond to every need with prayer. And what we're about to see in this narrative is how God intends for us to respond when we hear someone is at death's door, when we hear someone is facing the onslaught of the enemy. We need to be calling for prayer meetings. We need to be gathering together. We need to fast and pray to watch God deliver. Now the account of Peter's deliverance to this point shows a mighty answer to prayer. And how God chose to answer using an angelic messenger. Now we switch locations from Peter's, uh, where Peter's in prison, Herod's prison, to the location, he's been delivered, Now to the location of the prayer meeting. So follow along. (coughs) This gets exciting. At times it's a little humorous. Okay. Peter is alone in the night. A street away from the prison. Verse 12. And when he had considered. The Greek word there means to see together. Everything's coming together in his mind. He grasps. he's, He's aware now of what is happening. This word is only used two times in the New Testament. The other time is here here in Acts chapter 14 and verse 6. If you just want to look over there, this, this will help you. They were aware of it and fled unto Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconium. All right, so we've got missionaries who are aware of the threat of the Jews coming after them. They're aware, and so they respond. Same word back here in chapter 12. 
And so he considered the thing. And he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered praying together. Now again, Peter may have been aware the believers were praying there. But it's more likely that the Christians consistently met in Mary's house. And Peter knew this. It's also likely that he knew the home was nearby and he really needed to get off the street. So that's where he heads. We're not told about Mary's husband, which leads many to wonder if she was a widow. Regardless, she joins uh, a noble list of Marys in the New Testament. Uh, that would be a, a fascinating study for each of us, to just go study who these Marys are. But this Mary must have had some wealth. She had a larger house, and the church met there to pray. Now remember, this is a larger church. We're going to see later that not all of the church is there, but a lot of the church is there. You've already met her brother, Barnabas, the encourager of new disciples. And one of those disciples, of course, was Saul of Tarsus. People were afraid of him. Barnabas went to him. Saul and Barnabas are away in Antioch during this time, so they're not part of what's happening in Jerusalem here. Mary's the mother. She's got a son, got a son John Mark, who by the end of the chapter, if you look down at verse 25, He's going to join Saul and Barnabas on their next missionary journey. This guy had potential. He definitely had a heart for God. I would submit to you the reason he had a heart for God is because of who his mother was spiritually and what was happening in their home. You need to hold on to that, all right? The point is, service to Christ was already a family matter in Mary's home. Scripture goes on record to tell us that. The Lord wants us to see that. The home itself was used for God's work, including church prayer meetings. Now, what kind of prayer meeting was this? Well, many in the church had gathered, the Scripture tells us. Now, Pastor James, the half-brother of Jesus, some of the other brethren were not present, verse 17. But those who were present prayed, verse 5, without ceasing. They had done this for days. They were praying for Peter to be delivered. Is it any wonder, with this commitment to Christ in John's home, that it resulted in him becoming a mighty instrument in God's work? Now, there's some wonderful application here for us. So let's just pause for a moment. Who gave you your dwelling? Help me. God. Every good and perfect gift. Who owns your dwelling? The bank. No, no. No, no. All right. No, no. God owns your dwelling. How are you using your dwelling and all your other possessions for the work of God? Again, this is where that tension comes in. 
you know, let's have some folks over uh, from the church and let's just encourage one another in the Lord. Well, uh, we'll have to clean and cook and our schedule's busy. Stop. Whose house? How does God want you to use your possessions that he has given to you for him? When I was growing up, my parents would take every opportunity they could to have missionaries over, uh, evangelists over, and I can remember many of those conversations. They used our home as a place for ministry. It's not lost on me that all three, my brother, sister, myself, we're all in ministry today. Let me ask you another question. Will you acknowledge that how you use your home and your assets in the work of God will directly impact your family? We have the record of how Mary used her home. There is a heavenly record about how you use your home and your assets. Uh, I get it. Some are not in a home where you can have a big prayer meeting. All right. God, God knows that. All right, uh, your, your place may not be conducive to gatherings. God knows. But what about your assets and how are you using those assets for God? This time, this church age is about ministry work, gospel work. You don't have those things to just simply enjoy. You can enjoy them as you use them for God. It doesn't have to be either or. It should be both and. Now don't miss this. On this night in Acts 12, a young man and a young woman saw a powerful answer to prayer as he stood out this outside knocking at Mary's door. John Mark was present. Who else was present? Who's this young lady? Well, let's look on at verse 13. And as Peter knocked at the door of, of the gate, a damsel came to hearken. To ask, who's there? Now let's take a, word, a look at that word damsel. It's used in 12 verses in our New Testament. And here's what you need to know. Every time it's used, it is speaking of a servant girl. It's also used when Peter was outside the house of Caiaphas and they're trying the Lord in there. And it says, damsels were coming up and saying, Weren't you with Jesus? Well, we think we saw you. Remember his reaction? But who were those damsels? They were servant girls. And so she comes to see who's at the door. Her name is Rhoda, a word that means rose. All right? And when she knew Peter's voice, now get this, even the servants in this home were so familiar with God's work they knew the voices of the apostles. The cross changes everything. It doesn't matter if you're a servant, a hired hand. In a Christian home, people come to Christ. Everyone's part of God's family. And so, yeah, she works here. She's a servant girl here. But she knows the Lord. She knows who's outside. And notice she opened not the gate for gladness. She rejoiced at the answer to prayer. Woohoo! God answered! 
Peter's outside. And she's so excited, she runs away from the door to tell everybody. She ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. Now this portion of scripture makes us pause and smile. I hope, I love this part. Okay. By answering prayer, an angel had opened prison doors. But Peter couldn't get into the prayer meeting. A castle gate opened on its own to let Peter out, but an overjoyed servant girl wouldn't open a wooden door to let him in. Now, I have no doubt that later, this young lady would be used mightily of the Lord. You say, Pastor, what are you talking about? Hold your place here. Go back to the very first chapter. Acts chapter 1. I want you to see this. Luke begins this book by saying, The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he, through the Holy Ghost, did give commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. Okay? To whom also he showed himself. And, and we read on and on here. Uh, but he talks about, and this is where I'm, I need to find the place here, where Peter talks about the witnesses. I think I may have written down, I'm in making a confession this morning, the wrong reference. Um, anyway, that's exactly what I thought. What was it again, Josh? All right. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. That's not it, but that's a great verse, Josh. Okay. <laughs> Here's the point. When, when Luke starts writing, he talks about Theophilus, the witnesses. The witnesses who testify. Luke Dr. Luke relied on witnesses to give us these accounts. Who do you think told him about what happened this night? A joyful servant girl named Rhoda. Now it reminds me again, young people, God can use you mightily too. He wants to use you mightily. Parents, He wants to use your young people mightily. So have your home be a place, a base of ministry work. Get them involved. Have people over for fellowship. Have them over to pray. Have biblical discussions. I've shared with you, that's how I knew, came to know Christ. My folks were fellowshipping with some friends from our church. And that night, my dad and another man were having a spiritual discussion about the last times. Scared me to death. And that night, I came to Christ. All right. So, wrote a verse into the prayer meeting. Let's move on. 
And with news, Peter is at the gate. And you would think someone would respond, where is he? Did you let him in? Well, that isn't what happened. Verse 15, and they said unto her, thou art mad. What a wonderful thing to say. The word literally means you're crazy, you're out of your mind. That's not a spiritual response, a bunch of people praying. That's what they say. But she constantly affirmed. Now, this is great. Here's what she, I can see this joyful young lady looking at him. And it means she insisted vigorously. What? Peter's at the door. And that is even so. Then said they, huh, okay, the, the first response wasn't very spiritual. Here's, here's one that's better. It is his angel. Now at this point, you want to ask the question, who really has lost their minds here? I don't think it's the servant girl. Now the Jews did believe, many of them believed in guardian angels. But again, why would an angel not bring Peter... And why would the angel stand outside and knock on the door? He doesn't need to knock. We already know that from the chapter. All the while, verse 16, Peter continued knocking. And I think it was like this. And when they had opened the door, so they all get up together. This is the wording. They move together to the door. They saw him and were astonished, beside themselves with amazement. Question, what had they been praying for? All right. How many powerful answers to prayer had the Jerusalem church witnessed to this point? Beginning with the coming of the Holy Spirit and the apostles being delivered from authorities before. Yet these believers who had prayed for days were filled with doubt and unbelief. Now listen carefully. Again, here's this human tension. For the Christian, how quickly our faith can turn to doubt. Is that true? And yet our Lord honors faith knowing our tendency to doubt. I'm so thankful God didn't say, oh, you have to have a bunch of faith for me to answer. Faith as a grain of mustard seed can move what? Mountains. It's not the little faith. It's who the faith is in. The one who made the mountains can move. What's the application? The application for us, beloved, is to pray on. It doesn't matter if everything inside you is screaming, this isn't going to work. You pray on. Say to the Lord, Mark 9, 24, I believe, help thou mine unbelief, and pray on. Now back to our story. The saints are so amazed at seeing Peter, there is an excited buzz of chatter that could have awakened the neighbors. It's exactly what the text says, verse 17. But he, beckoning, the, literally the Greek is to wave down, to signal. Unto them with the hand to hold their peace. Okay. Shh. The whole neighborhood's going to know I'm here. 
And at that point, he declared to them, described in detail how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, go show these things unto James. Again, this is the half-brother of Jesus. He is now the pastor of the Jerusalem church. I could take time to show you the text. We'll see him later in the book of Acts. Not the James who was martyred, the apostle. This is the half-brother of Jesus, who, by the way, is later called an apostle, though he wasn't one of the twelve. Okay? Also, this James is the James who wrote the book of James. Hebrews, James. It's this James. He says, go, show these things unto James and to the brethren. So there were other believers that were not present. And he, Peter, departed and went into another place. Now it's fun when you study these things to just see what the commentators say. And they're all pretty unanimous. We don't know. We don't have a clue where Peter went. You can speculate, but the point that's not even the point. If God thought it was important, he would have showed us. It is likely that he left the city, which would have been the smart thing to do. Perhaps he left the region. Now as we come to the end of the chapter, the Apostle James has been delivered to heaven by the brutality of Herod. Did you hear what I said? He was delivered. That is something that we have to remember as God's people. To be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. Ah, oh, no, no. Yes. What did Paul say? That is far better. It's far better. God gets to do with us whatever he wants to do. But it's always good. And it's always better. So, James is in heaven. Herod helped with that. Now the apostle Peter has been delivered from Herod's prison by a powerful angel. All of this points to God's prevailing power on behalf of his church. But God's primary tool is spontaneous, unceasing prayer, even though the flesh of saints is given to doubt. Now, without going into detail, our church knows that right now we are in, involved in some litigation. Nobody here has done anything wrong. But the reality is, we need to pray. We are praying. But for those of us who have been praying earnestly, we all need to pray. Let me just be honest, is there any doubt? Do we know that, well, this could turn out differently than we thought? Of course. But is it going to turn out, if we're praying for the glory of God, the protection of His name, and what is best for His church, is there any doubt that it's going to turn out to the glory of God? No doubt. Pray on. It doesn't matter. Whatever is going to happen in the future, pray on. 
As God's work continues, we will see the obvious need to pray unceasingly for those who are imprisoned for the name of Christ. On our prayer sheet every week, you're admonished to pray for the persecuted church. Is that biblical? Acts 12. This morning, or wherever, the, whatever the time is around this world, there are brothers and sisters in Christ who are sitting in jail cells, in prisons, facing awful things and anticipating their death. Some of them are, are in places where what they anticipate is that they're going to be put to sleep and never wake up because a communist government wants their organs. Families in those places know that when our believing family gets arrested, that is not just a possibility, it's likely. Pray for those who are in bonds. We're admonished directly to do that in Scripture. But ultimately, God is able to deliver from any despot and the walls of any dungeon. So let's conclude. Peter would later write to the church, 1 Peter 3.12, The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. You think Peter knew what he was talking about? That is personal testimony with Peter. But listen to what else he says. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And so let me give you a little bit of a teaser for the next message, all right? We've witnessed the Lord's powerful deliverance of one of His servants. But no doubt those who are praying, and if you didn't know this passage, you'd be asking, what about those who killed James? What about this Herod fellow? We've already looked at his lineage. The, the, what a family. Oh. What about them? Are they going to get away with this? The chapter is going to end with Herod killing those who were doing his bidding. Those 16 soldiers, they all die. I wonder, don't know, but I wonder if one of those who was killed was the one who killed James. We'll have to get to heaven to find out. But these who are doing the enemy's bidding, they don't survive. And then the Lord is going to kill Herod. When we get there next time, you're going to see this is a public execution. And it's, it's bad. You can read on so you know what I'm talking about. But God sees... Those who touch his bride. He sees, he notes, and he acts. Now let's close this way with some application. As battle rages for the souls of men and women, I want to challenge you this morning. Make sure you are on God's side. Satan will use you and then throw you on the scrap heap of time. You say, well, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve Satan. 
these Satanists. Try to make Satan a benevolent God. He's not. If you are of your father, the devil, the lust of your father you will do, and then he's going to destroy you when he's done with you. You need to run to Jesus, who gave his life for you, who wants to make you part of his family through saving faith. Uh, you say, well, well, if I do that, pe people won't like me. Your father doesn't like you now. He's Dr. Death. You need to come to Jesus and be saved. He's using you. As we heard earlier, the only one who can satisfy is Jesus. He wants to, Christ wants to save you. Use you to help deliver others as he delivers you. Now, Christian, your dwelling, your possessions are to be used for kingdom work. And how you invest them for eternity will impact your children for eternity. I'm convinced of it. So take inventory right now. Are you living your life for you? Are you using those resources for you? Or are you conscious of ways that you can use those to gather with other believers for prayer, for encouragement, for help? We're the body of Christ. This is what the body needs to do. And again, we can go through the New Testament and we can see example after example, Mary and Martha, this Mary... Uh, Aquila, Priscilla, <coughs> people uh, like uh, Philemon who are using their homes as, as places for God's work to be done. We need to be actively doing that. And I could just go, go down that road and talk about how hospitality in the New Testament is expected from God's people. Again, it may not happen in your house, so, so meet up someplace. Be hospitable, uh, but use what you have to encourage and admonish and pray for fellow believers. Use those assets to help win the lost. And so let's acknowledge God's prevailing power for His church. And the overall application here is the prevailing power power of prayer. I'm encouraged. Our Sunday night attendance and our Wednesday night attendance is exactly the same. But some of you haven't been in a prayer meeting for years. Why? Why is Sunday night not important? You, you, ha you get enough of the Bible every week? Say, well, I, I, I don't need my church family. Well, maybe they need you. Stop being selfish. Stop it. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body, with your spirit, with everything you have. It's God's. And folks, time is running out. And so we have prevailing power on our side. Let's use what he has already given us 
and the power of the Holy Spirit within us build His church to win the lost. And let's be a blessing to each other for the glory of God. Father, thank you for this wonderful passage. It's exciting. Lord, thank you for giving this weak vessel the opportunity to try to help it come to life through, through the very words that you've given us here. Lord, thank you that you want to use us, that you've given us resources so you can use us more. And we have the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, each of us has a stewardship. We're all going to stand before you someday and we're going to talk about it, how we used our resources, how we used our time. Whether or not, as the day of the Lord approaches, we were more active, more involved with our local church, or whether we were distracted, lazy. Oh, God, help us to see the exciting work of God in places like Acts 12. And help us to get in involved. You want to use us. And Lord, it will impact our kids. Help us to be faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God, or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.